1983, my family lived on a street called Juno Avenue in Anaheim, California, just a bus ride away from Disneyland. Small apartment, one of those tan stucco 1960s style box buildings that were so popular in California in those days. Maybe they still are. It was the kind of place where there was a big central courtyard with a swimming pool in the middle and the sun beat down on that courtyard and onto all of our living room windows that faced this courtyard. And my mother got in trouble with the landlady for putting tinfoil across our windows to stop the sun from coming in while we were running the air conditioner. <laughs> I don't know why putting tinfoil on the windows was something that would get a tenant in trouble, but it did. And across the courtyard lived a family with kids my age. We used to go over and play. And one afternoon, it's probably, well, it was either 1983 or 1984, we decided to have a dance party. And my friend, her name was Dinda, went over to the stereo, and it was one of those console stereos, big piece of furniture, looked like a bureau or a dresser, and you lift a lid, and there's a record player stacker inside an AM, FM tuner, maybe an eight-track cassette player. They have wonderful sound. I bought one a few years ago from 1971. It's sitting in my living room. <laughs> and she put on the radio, Top 40 radio. And there was this, I think the name for it is glissando. When you run your fingers up the keyboard, all the way up from a low note to a high note and back down on a synthesizer. And this banging dance song came on. And we kids couldn't stop. You're just bopping and rolling around. And this woman was singing, You may be my lucky star, but I'm the luckiest by far. And as I danced to this, I thought to myself, Who is this magical girl? Because as soon as I heard it on the radio, I saw it on MTV as well. Madonna writhing around with pantyhose tying her hair up, <laughs> 16 pounds of makeup, crucifix earrings, um, and rubber bracelets. And I was smitten. Like most of the world, I was smitten. I could not take my eyes off her. Nobody could take their eyes off her. And I don't know if the way I've seen her over my life. I don't know how much of it is accurate perception and how much of it is my youthful vulnerability to packaging and manipulation. I've always thought Madonna had one of the most beautiful faces in Hollywood. And I mean Hollywood expansively. Madonna is part of Hollywood, whether or not she's ever been a good actress, and she has not been a good actress. But she's part of Hollywood. And she has a face that wears makeup styles unlike unlike anyone else. I've always thought she was beautiful. And I know not everybody agrees with me. And it makes me think it makes me think of an older sense, an original sense of a word that we use today, but that we don't know this sense of it. Glamour. We use glamour today to talk about the exciting, shimmering, 
rich, fascinating accessories and accoutrement that surrounds somebody. But one of the original senses of the word was a magical spell, a glamour. Someone would throw a glamour on you. And one of the kinds of glamours that could be cast would be a spell that made you believe that the person you were looking at was this incredibly beautiful creature. So I wonder if Madonna put a glamour on me, put a glamour on us. Charisma is what she had. Unbelievable natural amounts of charisma. You may not like her. You may find her irritating. But I don't think anyone can deny that the woman has charisma like you rarely see. Once in a generation. Once in a century, maybe. My attachment to Madonna is not uncommon for gay men of my generation. She is our icon. And it's not unlike the icons that gay men have revered throughout the 20th century. There's something that there's something all these women share. Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Judy Garland, Madonna. The kinds of women that gay men obsess over, the divas, are narcissists or similar. They're cluster B women. Some of them are, if you will, nicer than others. Some of them are harder than others. Meaner, steelier. But they're all screwed up in the head. And they all have a, a tragic heroine aspect to them in their own ways. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Now, anybody who watches my show or knows me or knows me on social media knows that my interest in Madonna probably qualifies um, to be called an obsession. Believe it or not, it's not as much of an obsession as it used to be, and that's, that's what I want to talk about in this show. I'm not unaware of this. I don't think that... I don't think that it's just uh, that everybody has such an obsessive interest in one celebrity. It's not an uncomplicated obsession. It was when I was younger. I idolized her, like many young gay men did, like many young women did. She seemed all-powerful, unbelievably beautiful, the center of attention. Nothing went wrong for her. She got everything she wanted. She was ballsy as hell and had absolutely no trouble offending the shit out of anyone. And I thought she was just fantastic because of that. And I wanted to be that. And I think that even as a young kid and as a teenager, I recognized that I recognized a certain hard and cold quality about her. A protective armor that she carried. She was above it. She was untouchable. There was a time when Madonna ruled the world from a cultural perspective, at least from a celebrity in the West perspective. And I wanted to be all of those things. I wanted to be beautiful and clever and irreverent and untouchable. I mean, you know what I was trying to escape in the real world. 
feel like this is sort of a, it's not exactly this, but it's, I feel like I'm slowly writing a goodbye letter to Madonna Ciccone. As I've grown up, as her audience has grown up, she has not. And watching it has been very sad for me. I saw, I saw a TikTok video from her today. Have you seen her face lately? We all know that celebrities get a lot of plastic surgery, but have you seen her lately? She looks like an alien. I mean, I swear to God, I, I, I think by next week, Ancient Aliens on the History Channel is going to have grainy footage of Madonna, you know, slinking behind dumpsters in Los Angeles. <laughs> She's looking at the camera in front of her computer with that preternaturally stretched skin, not a fold or a wrinkle in sight. Her eyes pulled, pulled so hard that she almost looks Japanese. And she's making this really uncomfortably close kissing motion with her lips toward the kiss. She leans into the camera and she puckers her lips up. Everybody says, oh my God, why are her lips so big? Actually, it's, um, I've, <laughs> I've been watching this woman for years. She's had a lot of plastic surgery. I don't think she's had lip fillers. She just draws them on really big sometimes. It's not a good look for her, but she does it anyway. She has a lot of things that are not a good look for her. <laughs> She's 63 years old, and it's clear to me that she can't handle it. Okay, so people in Hollywood are broken. Troubled people go to Hollywood to fix themselves, to get the attention, to get the care, and even if they don't know it consciously, to try to get the love that they didn't get in their formative years. And so you can look at them in several different ways. Their antics, celebrities, their antics are ridiculous. Sometimes they're offensive. Most of the time, these people live in a world that is so out of touch, so distant from the actual real world that most normal people live in, that... You just don't want to hear them anymore. You just want to tell them to shut up. They opine about politics. They opine about cultural issues. They're so woke these days. I have no idea. No idea, most of them, what normal people actually think and do. Because Hollywood is a world of sycophants and yes-men. And look at what happened to Michael Jackson, right? We're all responsible for our own, for healing our own trauma fixing our own problems, getting our own addictions under control. But how much harder is it for a person who reaches that level of fame, who is surrounded by people and you know not one of them feels that they can say no? There are probably people around all of these mega celebrities that would like to say no, but, are, but know what will happen to them if they say no. They'll be kicked out by the celebrity, but they'll also be iced out by all the other people who work for him or her. But of course, many, perhaps most, of the people who work for these celebrities don't really care about who they are as people. They don't care 
how they damage themselves because they want to keep the money train rolling. So they don't say no. It's hard enough. This is the charitable side of me talking. <clears throat> it's hard enough for anyone with attachment or insecurity problems all the way up to borderline narcissistic personality disorders. It's hard enough for these people to be able to see themselves accurately and to be able to acknowledge that there's something very seriously wrong with the way they think and that only they themselves can fix this because their ego structure is so weak. Even the most narcissistic people, people like Madonna, egotistical, right? But there is dire insecurity underneath that. There's no what's actually called ego strength. Ego strength does not mean an egotistical person. It means somebody who is secure enough in who they are as a person and sees themselves accurately enough that they can weather storms, that they are able to hear that they are not perfect, that they can appreciate the things about themselves that are charming or fascinating or talented, but they can also acknowledge the parts of them that are wicked or venal or jealous or unstable. If you can do that, you have ego strength. People like Madonna, Michael Jackson, any of these celebrities, they don't have real ego strength. They can't hear no. They're never going to get better. Hollywood is a place where broken minds go to die. It's a cemetery. It's a cemetery for personalities. It's not a sanitarium. So I'm watching Madonna crumble in front of my eyes. And I am saying goodbye to a misguided teenager's dream. Yeah, maybe late. But things happen late in life for people like me and like a lot of you listening who come from backgrounds like we came from. Emotional maturity to the, to the degree that we achieve it comes hard and it comes much later than for other people. Being able to see the world as it truly is comes harder and later for us. It's embarrassing to me. Um, and if you are one of these people, I don't want to, I don't want to encourage you to feel embarrassed. Please don't feel embarrassed. Be glad that you've made progress. But I am still inside myself embarrassed that I didn't learn until my forties, some of the things that many people know by the time they're 20. I didn't learn how to have any consistent control over my emotions until my thirties. And I didn't really make significant progress in handling the rest of what was wrong with me psychologically and psychiatrically until the age of 41 when I had the big parting with my mother. As I've said before, when you figure out what is mentally wrong with somebody else who's important in your life, you also figure out what's mentally wrong and broken in you. So that's the setup. And I'm going to take a break here. And on the other side, I'm going to come back and read you an essay that I wrote about six months ago because it encapsulates my thoughts about Madonna and my emotional relationship to a woman that I have fantasized about who lived in my dreams several times a week for decades. And I want to read it as it is. I don't want to ad-lib it. So join me after the break. Kevin. 
Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. Welcome back. If Madonna has been a muse for me, an escapist muse, an aspirational role model when I was younger, it lives in the same neighborhood in my head as, as the way Joan Crawford has been a dark muse for me. My obsession, my infatuation, my fascination with these women is directly related to my relationship with my mother. Not necessarily in a straightforward and uncomplicated way, in a symbolic way, in a sublimated way, if you will. I still feel empathy and sometimes sympathy for Joan Crawford, despite what she did to her children. That doesn't excuse what she did to her children. And I'm on Christina Crawford's side. But I... Joan Crawford allowed me, and I didn't realize this for a very, very long time. I didn't realize it until five or six years ago, but she allowed me to explore who my mother was and what I thought of my mother in an indirect and non-confrontational way, in in a fictional way. She's an actress. She plays roles. It was easier to empathize with somebody who wasn't really real but who had so many characteristics of someone who was so real and so big in my life than it was to admit to myself that my mother was a version of Joan Crawford. And I think Madonna complements that in a way. I think that I think that I saw her and who she was or who I thought she was, who she appeared to be what she seemed to be able to do as the antidote, as the escape. This is what I could become. I could leave the trailer park. I could leave food stamps. I could leave welfare checks. I could leave the embarrassment of being in a grocery store with a woman who screamed at the staff. And I could become something fabulous, something big, something beautiful. Here's the essay I wrote. I have a thing for Madonna. Many gay men of my generation do. We came of age when she was making good on what she told Dick Clark on American Bandstand in 1984 when he asked her what she wanted from life. She said, to rule the world. Shortly after that, she got her wish. She was the queen of pop culture, and she stayed on the cover of every magazine for years. Girls dressed up like her. Gay boys wanted to dress up like her. Both of them wanted to be her best friend or to be her. Madonna has started fires and played with them her entire career. And when she's been burned, it's often because of the double standards that we hold for men and women. Few other women had the nerve to be as brazenly, aggressively sexual. Starlets are supposed to be sex kittens, not lionesses in heat. There's never been anything kittenish about Madonna. 
though she's modeled her presentation on Marilyn Monroe. There's a stark difference. Put a picture of Madonna as Marilyn next to a picture of Norma Jean Baker doing the original. Same hair, same makeup, same clothes, same pose. Marilyn looks at the camera with an invitation. Madonna's eyes challenge you. They say, I will eat you until there's nothing left. That ballsiness made a lot of people angry, mainly women. Yes, many women criticized her self-objectification on firmly second-wave feminist grounds. She put, she's putting women's liberation back decades by indulging stereotypes about loose women, they said. And from their political position, they have a point. But I suspect that many other women hated her for the reasons that women have always hated each other, modern protestations of sisterhood notwithstanding. Jealousy and intersexual competition. Whatever it is, Madonna has it. Admire her or despise her, the charisma is undeniable. But what made this woman so beguiling to young gay men? Why did my generation make her into an aspirational idol? And what are we to make of her today, now that we've grown up? A few nights ago, I rewatched her pinnacle performance, The Blonde Ambition Tour of 1990. You know it. Cone bra, underwear on the outside. When this was new, it brought gay boys like me to the, just the peak of ecstatic fan worship. I remember seeing this live. Screaming at the television with tears in my eyes as she pulled off these clockwork dance moves with the tightest makeup known to man. She was just so goddamned cool. But watching it again with 47-year-old eyes shocked me. Her performance wasn't just provocative, and it wasn't merely playful. It was lewd. She was masturbating on a bed before 15,000 people to a driving drumbeat. And the words of a feminist friend came back to me. She said, of Madonna, sexual abuse has been written across her face and all over her work since the beginning. Yeah, it's true. Madonna denies being sexually abused as a child, though we can be forgiven the suspicion. Of course, she's under no obligation to disclose anything about her private past. But like all of us, her past, whatever it may be, made her who she is. And if we can reduce who she is, just for a minute, to take a look. Madonna is a very troubled little Catholic girl who was broken at a very young age. Her mother, who had the same name, died of ovarian cancer when Madonna was five years old. This foundational trauma shows up in the lyrics and in the imagery of many of her music videos. The stitched together lips of the corpse at her mother's funeral in the video for the ballad, Oh Father. The mother she can't find except in the grave she visits in dreams that she recounted in Myrrh Girl from her Ray of Light album, and many others. And listening to her interviews over the years about feeling neglected by her father in a working-class Catholic household of eight children, one suspects a great many things were not right in that family. Not right for a healthy personality development. 
And how did her personality develop? What is her personality structure? Well, I think it's cluster B. And like for many people, I don't think it fits neatly into any of the four allegedly discrete disorders in that cluster. Narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, all allegedly discrete. With Madonna, it looks more to me like cluster B features of X. The constant image changes, the unstable identity, these are classic borderline personality disorder tells. The overweening sexual provocation, especially inappropriate sexual provocation, this is native to the histrionic personality disorder case. And her narcissism is too obvious to comment on further. Underneath this personality style is ravenous insecurity desperation, self-doubt, and self-contempt. This is the tragedy of the cluster B mind. They are dangerous. Oh, yes, <laughs> the cluster Bs are dangerous. But they're also broken, and they've usually been abused themselves. There is an emptiness inside of them. And a woman like Madonna will never admit weakness. But you can be sure that when the lights go out in her bedroom, she hears the echo in that empty place. I know my mother hears it. How did Madonna seduce gay boys like me? Well, like calls to like. My childhood broke me in ways similar to how Madonna's childhood broke her. My mother didn't die. Instead, she was my captor, my jailer. Deranged by her own mix of personality disorders, my mother ruled over her children as a trailer court Joan Crawford mixed with a healthy dose of the religious fanatic Margaret White from the movie Carrie. My mother got pregnant with me at 18 and my father left before I was born. I've never met him. Three years later, my mother married a violent man, as borderline women so often do. When she wasn't hitting me, her husband was. My mother had a very high tolerance for violence against her own children. The bruises that she would find on me when she bathed me didn't move her to make him leave. That only came when her own survival was threatened the night he pinned her down and strangled her and tried to kill her while her three children watched and screamed. And there was much more. But the end result of that for me was being made a ward of the state at 12 or 13 years old, and placed in a glorified orphanage with budding criminals my own age. Arsonists, brawlers, car thieves, rapists. At 16, I went to court and became an emancipated minor. And that's when I dropped out of high school and began my career as an alcoholic who slept around. And it was almost always men, not boys. You're not allowed to say this, but pederasty is endemic in gay male culture. I was pretty, and I was clever, and I gloried in it. There was a satisfaction in being able to seduce or be seduced by men old enough to be my father. Yes, it's prurient. It's not healthy. 
and it doesn't absolve any of those grown men for their sins. But complementary puzzle pieces fit together. As cliched as it sounds, the stereotyped explanation is the correct one. I was starved for love and affection. I was starved for a father. And yes, we do eroticize and neuroticize the things we should have had. But we distort them and make them perverse, too. I had none of the healthy kinds, so I took the substitutes that were available. And Madonna was a template. If a girl from Bay City, Michigan could have any man she wanted, why not me? I could be cool. No, I could be cold, above it, beautiful, desired, hard. I bleached my hair and I drew my eyebrows on to look like the Amazon queen stomping the stage to express yourself, pushing men down to their knees while looking at the camera like some kind of conquering coquette. Naturally, none of this was real, and how it appeared to others was obviously very different from how I saw myself. It was unstable and unhealthy. And though never diagnosed, during that time I spent several years as something right next to an anorexic. And likewise, while I was never diagnosed with it, I suspect that I had borderline personality disorder myself, or a form of complex post-traumatic stress disorder close enough to fit the bill. Despite the way I lived my life, I managed to graduate from a top private college with a bachelor's, a bit late at 25 years old. The worst of my mental problems, although nothing, nothing was worse than my late teen years, the worst of my mental problems started to resolve in my 30s, and what remained made substantial progress when I put my mother out of my life at 41 years old after seeing her for who she really was. And she had ever been thus. A man can tell a thousand lies to himself for a very long time. The taxonomy of Cluster B retroactively explained my life with my mother and woke me up to the real world for the first time. If I were religious, I would call it an awakening. Meaningful recovery from severe child abuse is only possible after you face the hardest truths the ones that haunt your nightmares, but that you chalk up to your imagination. You always had an overactive imagination, Joshua, my mother so frequently said, when she needed me to believe the problem was me, and when she needed me to believe that it was me who was crazy. But at 41, I accepted the truth. My mother did not love me. She didn't love her children, and she probably never had. And more than that, she took pleasure in hurting and exploiting her children. A broken character like hers does not understand love and is not capable of giving it and not capable of receiving it. All my life until recently, I had nightmares about my mother, that she put me in prison on false charges, that she had my college diploma revoked, or that she dragged me onto a stage in an auditorium in front of my colleagues and humiliated me. They weren't imaginary fears. It's that I didn't believe them about her until I had to. I put down promiscuity years ago. And a few years ago, I nursed my last hangover and didn't take a drink again. Obviously, I'm not free of episodic anxiety and depression, and it's probably my lot to have heightened neuroticism for the rest of my life. 
but I sleep at night now and the nightmares don't come anymore. And it was from this perspective that I, that I turned to Madonna recently. Madonna at 63 years old, dressed like a street hooker in a frozen mask of what was once one of the most lovely faces ever photographed. There she was, writhing against a wall in stilettos and stomping across the bar in a gay club, whipping up a crowd high on its own excessive pride. Madonna Ciccone left a mark on the 20th century at a level achieved only by an Elvis Presley or a Michael Jackson. Her pop music is canonical, and it is seriously good. She will be remembered for the music, not just the salaciousness in time. She has every reason to bask in her accomplishments, every opportunity to retire from the round top and create work that reflects the burnishing that age and experience can bring. But there was no trailblazing, ballsy Italian girl in that performance. No mature icon, no seasoned cultural institution. It was an aging prostitute with no way out. A private dancer, a dancer for money, and any old music will do. I turned the video off and I cried. There's a humiliating truth about who you are when you come from the place that creates people like me. As children and young people, we're often told how wise we are, how mature we are for our age. You're an old soul. It's not true. People like me are emotionally retarded and we don't know it until and unless we're fortunate enough to find our way out of the squalor. What I know at 47 years old, I should have learned by 20, and I'm lucky I learned it at all. I wanted something better for Madonna, and I know. I've never had a relationship with her except in my own mind, the way fanatics do. And in a way, that relationship was no different from the relationship that I had with my mother. It was an illusion. But I suspect I know some things about Madonna that she doesn't know about herself. And I don't think she'll ever learn them. Thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you again. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine program. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon. Patreon.com slash disaffected. Or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.